So I'm going to show you some pictures. I want you to tell me what you're looking at. What is this? Chicken pox. <clears throat> okay. Anybody else have any ideas besides chicken pox? What was that? Rubiola. Rubiola. Okay, could be. And what is, what's an AKA for rubiola? Measles. Measles. That's right, measles. So if we look at something like this, we look at the baby and we look at the, the child's got lesions all over the child, but you see the lesions are very flat, right? Uh, Chickenpox lesions are usually much more like pustules uh, than flat, so that's something we have to kind of think about as we're going looking through this. Now look at this one. What's going on with this child? It could be allergies. This would be pretty bad to have allergies that would be that extensively shown on her face. But, and I know it's hard to see because we're looking at a one-dimensional picture. Um, but I want you to take a look at the lesions and do these lesions on this child here look like the same lesions on this child here? No. So the lesions on this child here look like sort of like dots, like someone kind of took some red paint and just kind of spritched it on them, a child like this. If you look at the lesions here, you actually can see the lesions are a little bit more raised, right? These are a little bit coming off the skin. Um, especially you can see it like if you look at like side view, you know, you can almost see how it's raised. So this is much more like what? This is much more like chicken pox, right? And, and now honestly, as a chiropractor, do you really know, need to differentiate this versus this? Not really. Because if a kid came in either way, you'd be like, ah, you know, like, Let's go in the back room, let's spray everything, let's wash everybody's hands, you know, and stuff. Uh, so naming it, God bless you, naming it isn't really the important thing, but you need to, the reason I want to show this to you is because I want you to start thinking, right? One of the biggest problems that we see in all health education, whether it is um, education in medical schools or education in chiropractic schools or osteopathic schools, wherever it is, is we have really stinky visual diagnostic uh, abilities. Uh, we can't look at something and ferret things out from just looking at it, right? Uh, we need to see tests, we need to see you know, some sort of hard data, etc. That's a big problem, especially in a lot of the medical communities. What I'm going to try to do with you guys this quarter is I'm going to try to teach you guys some visual diagnostic skills, right? So I want you to look at stuff and I'm going to start showing you every single class in the beginning of class some of the key criteria that you're going to look for in different kids so that you can differentiate stuff. So that if it does come in and someone does ask you, hello, if someone does ask you a question about what this might be, at the very least you'll have the right differentials, right? At the very least. What about this uh, young lady over here? What's going on with her? Okay, um, that's a possibility. Lupus is certainly a possibility. Um, fever is a possibility too. But what else do you think might be happening with this young lady here? Fitz. Fitz? Fitz disease. Fitz disease. Okay, very good. Fifth, fifths. Fifth Fitz disease. Fitz. Yes. Yes, you said Fitz. Like, like, where are you from? New York? New York. I'm from New York. It's Fitz disease. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. But I, I've been down here for almost 18 years, so I'm starting to lose that. Right? So fifth disease. Right. The, now, now, any of these things could be right. Right? You could, a child with a fever can have like the, sort of like a, a, a reddish around her face, right? Um, and what was the other thing someone said? Lupus. Lupus. Lupus is possible, although very usual in a child this age. 
Very unusual child this age. Plus, with the lupus, you probably, because you see it's just her cheeks with lupus, you're probably going around the nose as well. But fifth disease, it was, what's your name again? Andrew. Andrew, Andrew was, got that one right. Fifth disease, this is super common, especially this age category. And these, these uh, school-age kids, um, the early school-age kids, like um, kindergarten, first, second grade, that's when you see fifth disease. That's the reason why they call it, if you remember me talking about this, why they call it fifth disease, is because it, it occurs when the child is five, right-ish, five, six, seven, eight-ish, that's the time that you're gonna see this. So that's why they call it fifth disease. So that's a, another thing. But once again, like from across the room, you should be able to pick this out, right? From across the room, you see a girl, because I've seen it with a girl coming in over there from my front door, and like, she's got fifth disease. You go in the back room, right? You gotta be able to pick this out really, really quickly so that you can triage well and know what's happening and know that she just didn't get into her mom's makeup drawer. Right, that's not the only, which is another possibility, right? Um, but, you know, generally speaking, they have some fevers and stuff with this too, so, you know, it's not mom's makeup. What about this? What's going on with this one? Very good. Is that you again, Andrew? Yeah. Wow, dude. Very good. <laughs> that's good, but that's, that's good deduction. A lot of people will confuse chicken pox here, right? Chicken pox here with hand, foot, and mouth disease. Uh, but the big differential thing you're going to see with hand, foot, and mouth disease versus chicken pox is the fact that, like in this young lady here, is everywhere, right? Chicken pox is not limited, you know? Now, chicken pox might have a limitation if the child went to the pediatrician and got one of those shots, I can't remember what they call it, but there's some shot that you can get to kind of limit the chicken pox, which I don't know why anybody would want to do that uh, because there's... You know, you know, you might as well let the chickenpox go through the child so that, because if you get the shot, you can get chickenpox again, right? You might as well just, just get totally immune to it, right? The first time you got it, just do it, right? But that's the big thing here is chickenpox is all over the place. This little one only has it on the hand, the foot, and the mouth, right? Now, obviously, this made it very simple for you to look at if I showed you a picture of a child, a one, you know, a whole child, you might be a little bit harder for you to pick out versus this, you know, kind of gave it away in a way. Um, but that's the key thing is you want to, you'll be noticing this on the hand, hello, on the hand, foot, and the mouth. So uh, also another thing that we see a lot of times uh, uh, with hand, foot, and mouth, although anybody can get this, um, most of the time it's going to be the younger children. So with a child like this who is, you know, probably maybe a year old or close to a year old or something, that's the kids who are more likely going to get the hand, foot, and mouth disease. Now is hand, foot, and mouth disease related to chickenpox? No, no, it's a Coxsackie virus. It's a Coxsackie virus, so it is not related to, to now it is a similar, right? It, it is a similar virus, uh, and a lot of the Coxsackie viruses do produce similar kind of things, but it is not the same. It is not in the herpes family. You know, it is in the Coxsackie uh, family. So I want to show you some of these pictures first, and now I'm gonna show you a couple of videos. <clears throat> So, yes. When we're talking about building natural immunity and not vaccinating children for stuff like this, in, in today's age, because there are so many vaccinations, like for chickenpox, for example, if you're raising a family today and you want your child to have natural immunity to chickenpox, how do you do that if the children aren't getting chickenpox? All right, this is a great question that Shayla asked. So, how do you raise a, a child who you might want to have them exposed to chickenpox if kids aren't? getting chicken pox like they used to. 
Um, and it's interesting you asked that because just last week, one of my fabulous patients who's been a patient forever um, and has three kids, uh, three beautiful girls, said to me, do you know anybody who's having a chickenpox party? Yeah. Right, because when I was a kid, I don't know if you, your parents did this with you, but when I was a kid, my parents uh, took me to several chickenpox parties. I was very reluctant to get chickenpox back then, so I decided to wait till I was 22 uh, and, and in chiropractic school to get chickenpox. That was a great idea of mine. Um, very, very, I should have just listened to them, right, when they, were, when they tried to make me get it. Um, so, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's harder, harder these days to expose kids to this kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, but I think one of the most important things that you bring up is building natural immunity. And I don't think you have to build natural immunity by getting diseases. I think you build natural immunity you know, from the inside out. So by doing all the health practices that you possibly can, right? So by getting the kids adjusted, that's gonna increase their immune system's potential. By you know, making sure that they're outside a lot and off of phones and iPads. Um, uh, making sure that they're uh, using a lot of manipulatives with their hands and doing a lot of hand-related activities so that hand and eyes are getting coordinated. I think that's really vital uh, you know, to a child's health. And certainly diet, hey, come on in. Certainly diet is a huge factor in kids' uh, health and trying to stay away from you know, white flour, white you know, sugar, you know, Coca-Cola. You know, I've, I've seen, like Starbucks, we had a patient uh, just the other day uh, give their little two-year-old you know, a sip of their Starbucks. You know, they call it coffee. You know, I'm gonna give you a little bit of coffee. Please, let's be real. Most of you who are getting Starbucks are not getting coffee, right? You're getting a Frappuccino with a whipped cream and two squirts of this and five drops of that and a shot of this, right? That's not coffee, right? So, uh, but either way, like when I was a kid, we weren't even allowed to have coffee, right? Like that was a taboo thing. And now it's like, there's a great way to wreck an immune system is giving it stuff it's not ready for, right? So, so, uh, so to answer your question, um, it's very hard to find a chickenpox party, but, uh, but you can probably find um, there's a lot of other ways to boost the immune system as naturally as, as you can. Good question. So let me show you some videos here to continue illustrating points. So <clears throat> I'm going to show you this video. <clears throat> this is stimming. This is what an autistic child does when they call it stimming. So if you notice here it's raining. Um, a lot of autistic kids uh, get really fascinated with water. Um, and by the way, this is... Uh, Daddy, this is... Uh, Daddy, this is uh, Autism Awareness Month. Um, so, but, so a lot of kids will do this stimming where they'll flap their hands or they'll spin around or they'll do some other kind of thing. Uh, that's a very common thing you're going to see with autistic children. Um, and what they're doing is... Uh, if you can imagine, putting yourself in his brain, uh, what do you think this child is doing by stimming? Well, I don't think he's really touching the rain much, um, but I think, what is, he, what is he really doing? Like, if you, look, if you watch what's, what the rain is doing, if, remember, you're an autistic child, so you have superior focus on very, very small amounts of things. He's mimicking the rain. Right? So you'll see a lot of these kids will go like you know, this, and they're just mimicking the rain. Not that that's the only reason they stim. They'll stim when they're excited. They'll stim when they're upset. You know, uh, because stimming is a way for them to get their 
their brains kind of reconnected into what it is they're thinking, right? So it's kind of a way for them to, to refine themselves. But if you watch the child do this with their, with their hands, especially with water or, um, or rain or something like that, what they're doing is, is they're mimicking, right? They're mimicking what they're seeing. So here's another video of an autistic child. So I want you to watch what happens with this particular child. There's two things going on with this child I want you to notice. All right. So what happened here? Describe what happened. The mom was first and calling his name. Was Ricky paying attention? No. Right? Hallmark of autism. Hallmark of autism. A child who is, does not pay attention to his or her name, especially by this age, which is about a year old or so, right? As a hallmark, right? Lack of social communication, repetitive, uh, restrictive movements. Those are the two major uh, things you'll see in autism, is, is lack of social communication, which means they don't have eye contact, right? And they don't have verbal communication very well, number one, and number two is they have repetitive kind of movements. Another thing that's very interesting in this child here is about his locomotion. What do you see going on with his locomotion that might be puzzling? Yeah, it's very jerky. Uh, so if you're looking at a child doing this, is this child crawling yet? Probably not. And can you tell me why he, this, uh, yeah, Ricky, why he isn't crawling? What's, what is going on with this child that he isn't crawling? Okay, so Shayla, you're, you're close. He doesn't have good control of his legs. But let's, let's deep, dig deep a little bit deeper when we look at this and look at his body dynamics and tell me why he can't move. It does have to do with primitive reflexes to a point, but I want you to, you can observe it right here going on, that there's one main, there's a huge disconnect, right? And we'll talk about Melillo in a moment. There's a huge disconnect happening with this child. Can you pick that out? Yes, okay, that was very good. That's exactly it. So this part of him is going this way. This part of him is going the opposite way, right? That's called paradox. That's called paradoxical crawling. He can, so can you possibly roll if part of you is going like this, like my, let's say I'm on my left side and my right leg is going behind me but my, left arm, but my right arm is going forward like this. So we're going like this. Now that's a great stretch but it's not a great way to roll, right? That's called the paradox. You can see this a lot with autistic children and children with a lot of sensory and motor planning, uh, motor processing problems. You'll see a lot of this paradoxical stuff where they, they're not moving the way you and I would move, right? When, when you, you, you look at a child who's supposed to be walking and you're supposed to see a cross-curl pattern, and, and sometimes you'll see these kids do this, where there is no cross-curl pattern, where the, the left and right side will not move you know, opposite each other as the child is walking. That's another paradox. These are a classic hallmark, these restrictive, repetitive behaviors. This is part of it, that they, their brains can't figure stuff out, right? This is what we're seeing with these kind of kids. Last little video. Is this normal crawling? 
Now she's beautiful. Beautiful little girl. What do they call this? Scooting. This is called scooting. When you're on your rear end and you're moving like this, it's called scooting. Um, uh, a slight variation to scooting is the crab crawl. The crab crawl is where one leg is back and the other leg, and then they're, they're sitting on their butt and they're kind of doing this sort of half a scoot kind of thing. That's the crab crawl. <clears throat> now, she was looking at us or looking at the camera, right? So you know that the chances of her having like full-blown autism are probably low because she was able to interact with whomever it was who was taking the video, right? She smiled, she had eye contact, she was giggling, right? That's a good sign. But a child who is crawling inappropriately, what does that mean? That's right, their brain is not developing. Their brain is not developing the way it's supposed to. And so why am I showing you these pictures and why am I showing you these videos? And I'm going to do this every class. In the beginning of every class, I'm going to make a collection for you of all these different kind of things that I've seen over the years, right? The reason that I'm showing this stuff to you is because you've got to get it like this in your heads, right? You want to stand out from the crowd. You can't just look at this girl who's sitting in your office crawling on her rear like this and just, just adjust her and not comment to the mom. Do you know that the child is not crawling correctly? Do you know that we need to do something about this? Do you know that this shows that there's some brain imbalance going on, right? right? We have to be able to be aware of that, right? <clears throat> we have to be able to, to pick up these different signs and symptoms and clues because sometimes kids are going to come into your office and they're going to look like, well, like this, Right? And we've had a number of kids, I have a number of children in my practice, there's three different two-year-olds who are in my practice that are all going around my office stimming like this, and the parents, when they first brought them in, were totally in denial of what was going on. And early intervention is the key, and it's not just chiropractic, right? Chiropractic is a huge part, but these kids need speech therapy, right? They need occupational therapy. This is, we're not a one-stop shop, unless you have all this stuff in your practice. Right? You're not a one-stop shop, so we have to be able to shuttle these kids to the different things that they need because the more, this is what, I was just sitting down with a mom and a dad who brought their little kid in, who was stimming like this, not talking, having some paradoxical movements, and they're like, do you think the child's autistic? And I said, you know, I'm not gonna name uh, autism. This is not my job to, to put a, a, a verbal diagnosis on this child. That's not what a chiropractor does. All I can tell you is that this child's brain is not functioning the way a two-year-old child should be functioning. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna max out this kid's brain. And the way we're gonna max out this kid's brain is we're gonna do a lot of things with him. We're gonna do a lot, a lot of work, right? And it's not just gonna be me. And it's not just going to be you. It's going to be me and you, and you're going to go for, you're going to have an OT that we're going to refer you to. We're going to get a speech therapist we're going to refer you to, right? We're going to do a lot of work because the more work you, you throw into these little kids' brain before they're three or four years old, the better chances you're going to have of normalizing a child who's got these kind of issues, right? If you just, a lot of them are saying, well, we can't make a diagnosis until the kid's three or four years old. Well, that's a couple of years too late. <laughs> we got to jump on this right now. As soon as you find out, you see a kid who's doing this kind of thing and the kid is, is a year old, this is, this is like red flag should be going down, right? The play should be stopped and we should be doing something about this. And one of the biggest things that I see in practice today is how many people are living in what I would call denial, right? And we have to be 
aware enough and to understand what we're seeing when we're seeing this stuff. And that's what I'm gonna expose you to this quarter, is expose you to all these different things so that when you're in your peak offices and or you're in your associate pra or you're open up your own practice, um, whichever way you're gonna go when you guys graduate, that you're gonna be able to recognize this stuff. Because this stuff is a tidal wave happening out there. There's a tidal wave of sickness happening out there. This past season was the worst flu season I've ever seen. And I used to hear that all the time for like, I've been in practice now 29 years. <clears throat> this year, in 1980, uh, next year uh, is 30 years for me in practice. I graduated in 89. So, but this year, they always say that. Though. They always say, oh, you should get the flu shots. It's the worst flu every year. This time, it was the worst flu season I've ever seen. For real. And all, we had all these new patients coming in because their immune systems were just wrecked. Totally, totally wrecked. Right? And the kids, they weren't bringing the kids in because of back pain. They weren't, although sometimes they do. But the, the majority of the kids we saw this, this winter season was for their immune systems, for all these immune system challenges that we saw, and for a whole bunch of kids on the autistic spectrum. Right? This is what they want from chiropractic. This is why I do what I do. Right? This is why I teach what I teach, because I want you guys to be aware of this kind of stuff. Because who else is going to take care of this but us?